השיעור is dedicated in loving memory and for the עילוי נשמת אפייגי בת רבקה and אהרון שרה קוטלה. May their memories be a blessing for us. Preparation for the ninth day of Av. This is a talk transcribed and translated from a talk given by Rabbi Avram Mordechai Gottlieb on how we should prepare for the Tisha B'Av, the ninth day of Av. Our sages teach us when the month of Av comes in, we lessen our joy. Why is that? Because of the destruction of the temple and the exile of the Jewish people from their land. The temple in its day was a house of the utmost beauty and it formed the center of spirituality. The Talmud teaches us that in the temple, miracles happened as a daily occurrence. The presence of the Shekhinah shone there. Three times in the year, on the festivals, all Israel from the north and from the south would stream to the temple. It was an incredible sight. But on the ninth day of Av, both the first temple and years later, the second temple were destroyed. If we look at the origin of this destruction, the spiritual origin of this destruction, it appears to have been the sin of the spies who brought back an evil report of the land when the children of Israel were still wandering in the desert. They sent spies to spy out the land, but when they came back, the spies gave a report which appeared to the children of Israel that they were not able to conquer the land because they feared that God would not be with them. On that day, the children of Israel rejected the land of Israel that God had promised them, and they cried through the night. This unmerited crying, this lack of faith, in the God who had brought them out of Egypt, then became the crying and the weeping through the generations. It was on this very same day that the temple, the spiritual center of the people of Israel, was destroyed, and the exile began, in which we were scattered amongst the nations as a persecuted and despised people, and the land itself became barren and desolate. Ultimately, all 12 tribes of Israel were dispersed. And to this day, we don't really know what happened to the other 10 tribes, except that in different places of the world, Africa and in Asia, remnants of the Jewish people seem to have survived. It was indeed a colossal destruction. A destruction that affected a deeply spiritual people who had a unique connection with the Creator. When we ask what was the reason for this destruction, why did all this happen, the answer that the sages tell us is through unconditional hatred, sinat chinam. We need to understand what does sinat chinam mean? What is unconditional hatred? And why did such an unconditional hatred give rise to such complete destruction in which millions of people lost their lives and the remnants were dispersed all over the globe and remained dispersed, suffering for more than 2,000 years. Indeed, the site of the temple became like a ploughed field.
The Romans ploughed the site of the temple. They did not want to leave any remnant of Judaism, any remnant of holiness left. But we need to ask the question, did the Jews really hate each other? Had we deteriorated to such a low level? To understand Tisha B'Av and to also understand it how it is for us today, we need to understand a little bit more clearly what this unconditional hatred really is. The Talmud in the tractate Chagigah says, just as I give to you unconditionally, so you should give unconditionally as well. In other words, just as God gives to us with unconditional love, so we need to give to each other with unconditional love as well. This means that everybody should consider the ultimate worth and potential of his or her fellow human being. And we need to support and love that incredible potential unconditionally without thought of profit or gain. We are all capable of giving a lot to each other, but that usually depends on the condition that we get something back. We want appreciation, we want returned favours, but to give unconditionally? That's another story. We can all do things for each other, but our ego wants recompense. We want recompense also from God. We'll do the mitzvot. But we want him to reward us, either in this world or in the next. Our nature is like this because we're made up of our will to receive for ourselves alone. This is our basic makeup, which hates to do anything unless it can see what it will gain. And it actually hates the word unconditional. We still have to ask the question, what does this unconditional hatred of doing something for nothing, what does this hatred of the unconditional got to do with the destruction of the temple? In what way was it a cause for the destruction of the center of Jewish spirituality and the dispersion of its people? And in what way is it a cause for the continued desecration of Temple Mount and the fact that the temple is not yet being rebuilt in our day. The Zohar teaches in many places that the outer physical aspects of our life and the inner aspects of our life run parallel to each other and influence each other. It's not possible for our inner life to be absolutely fine and our outer life to be upset or vice versa. They go in parallel, just like in the human being. If a person is psychologically and emotionally disturbed on the inside, this affects his physical life in external ways as well. The sages of blessed memory say, anyone for whom the temple was not rebuilt in its day, it is as if it was destroyed in his day. So the fact is that the temple is not rebuilt in our day is actually hinting very strongly 
that the same cause for destruction that happened in those days is the same cause that is lingering in our minds and hearts today, this unconditional hatred. And only when we can rebuild the temple within our minds and our hearts will we be able to build the Beit Mikdash in Jerusalem. And this is the real reason for the morning on Tisha B'Av. The morning actually begins from Rosh Chodesh Av and ends halfway through the day after Tisha B'Av. And in order to really do this work of mourning properly, it doesn't do just to focus on history, but to focus on our inner situation today. And that is to say that in our hearts and minds, we are not building our inner sanctuary, our inner temple, where the divine presence can shine. So on Tisha B'Av, when we sit on the floor, we're not crying for something that happened in the past. We're not crying for the, for the stones. We're crying for our situation today. Because the reality is that in our present inner situation, if we even had the temple, it might still get destroyed. Because the reason for the destruction of the temple is still with us. If our inner situation would improve, then the third temple would be rebuilt. We don't need to worry about the political situation. God can organize that in the best possible way for everyone. Not us against another people, us instead of another people, not in a way of domination, but in a way that everybody gains. When we mourn, we can certainly know that there is a point of relief. If we know the cause of a problem, we're actually on the way to solving it. On the one hand, we can see that our inner situation is not good. We don't love each other unconditionally. We find it hard to let go of the ego and give. Nevertheless, if we know the cause, we have a reason to hope. The Torah says, "Va'asuli mikdash, v'shachanti betocham." Make me a sanctuary, and I will dwell within them. And the sages teach us that this refers to the inner sanctuary, the inner place for God within our heart. What is the aspect of a sanctuary? What is a mikdash? When a man takes a woman for his wife, he says, Harei at mkudeshet li. You are dedicated to me. You're set aside from the rest of the world for me. And the meaning of making a sanctuary within ourselves is to dedicate, to give our values, to live our lives by the values of our service to God. To the extent that we're sanctified to God and God wants to live within our midst, connected to God in joy and in love, just as a man should be connected to his wife in joy and in love. That is the Beit Mikdash. We need to be connected with our values, with our ethical values, 
which belonged to the Jewish people since we were given to them from Mount Sinai. And whichever section of the Jewish community we're talking about, this is true for everybody. We need to go with those values, live those values, flow with those values. And when we do that, this is the rebuilding of the temple that we pray for. And the most important issue that we're talking about here is to focus on our unconditional love, which actually opposes our unconditional hatred. This is the rebuilding of the temple that we're looking for. If we look in Lamentations, the very first verse says, How does the city sit solitary, the one that was filled with people? How has she become as a widow? Indeed, we're now like a woman who's lost her husband and she's now all alone. In commenting on this verse, the Holy Zohar brings another verse. The sages said, Thus says the Lord, Thus says the Lord, A voice is heard in Rama, Lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel, our mother, is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are not. Ki einenu. But that's not the right translation. That's the regular translation, but it's not correct. The word used in Hebrew is einenu, which means he is not. Who is it referring to? God. God. Rachel is crying for the children because God is not in our midst. So what can we do? What is our, how do we solve this problem? Now the truth of the matter is that to be able to see there's a problem is already part of the solution. This is like a parable. The ship is out at sea, very far out at sea. So the captain sends the sailor up to the top of the mast to look around. Can he see anything? He looks at them from the mast and all he can see is the sea. He has no idea where he is. When we don't even know what the problem is, we don't know how to solve it, we may not even realize there is a problem. But if the sailor goes up to the top of the mast and even from a very far away he can see land, he might be very far away, but at least he knows where he is. When we can identify the problem, that's when we can start to solve it. The way to get closer to building the Beit Mikdash inside of us is actually to practice bringing God into our lives and taking some time every day to realize the presence of God in our lives, to realize that God is actually the master of all our actions, that he is good and does good and he cares for us and he loves us. And when we begin to understand that, we're actually closer to the land than we think. 
We just need to make this involvement of God in our lives more real to ourselves. What would be like to actually have that sanctuary within us rebuilt? Just as you don't have any doubt that you're listening to me in this podcast, in the same way we will not have any doubt of God's presence and his communication with us in our lives. That would be the reality of a sanctuary within ourselves. Vasuli mikdash v'shachanti betocham Make me a sanctuary and I will dwell within them. And this is an, sounds like an ideal situation. It sounds like a fantasy. But in fact, it is the ideal situation. And it's not a fantasy. It is actually possible to achieve. It's just that we've forgotten that it's possible. What is this like? This is analogous to a parable in which a person offended the king of the country. And as a punishment, he was sent away from the presence of the king and he was sent to live on an isolated island in the middle of nowhere. And for his work, he was given the work of hauling rocks. During the first year of his exile, he remembers with sorrow his life back in the regular country, back in the normal country where he had wife and children, where he had friends, where things were happening, where there were trees. He remembers his life and he knows that where he is is abnormal. But as time goes by, he forgets. Two years go by, three years go by, ten years go by and he forgets what is normal. And what becomes normal for him is his solitary life on this deserted island where he hauls rocks. And this, in a sense, is what's happened to us. The length of the exile still has its effects on us. We think that our exile from God is normal. We think that to live without the presence of God in our lives is normal. Actually, it's not normal. It's very abnormal. But we don't remember what it is like to live in a life where spirituality and God was important to us. The wave of materialism which started in the 19th century and has swept over the world in unprecedented force in this last century and now has taken so much away from us of our understanding of what is normal and what is not normal. In actual fact, to live in a situation where we no longer have communication with God from within ourselves is a most abnormal situation. So every year, the Jewish people on Tisha B'Av get to sit down on the floor and weep over the destruction of the temple but let's weep over the destruction of our inner temple because it is a very abnormal situation 
The truth is, is that what we read in the Torah, the stories of how God communicated with our forefathers, that's normal. Many tzaddikim, up to the present day, have communication with God, and that's normal. What is abnormal is this distance and this deafness on our part to the way God is communicating with us. And because this is the way life is lived like now, right now, and we didn't see anything particularly different from our parents, we don't expect anything different from our children, we think it's normal, but it is definitely not normal. How is the city sit lonely? The one which was filled with people is like a widow. Lonely, without a companion. In our lives, we try to cover up our inner solitude with lots of different things, all sorts of substitutes, all sorts of ways to recompense ourselves for the solitude that we feel. But ultimately, they don't work. The second sentence in Lamentations teaches us this. She weeps sore in the night and her tears are on her cheeks. She has none to comfort her among all her lovers. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They've become her enemies. We try to cover up that sort of emptiness, the substitutes for God in our lives, to cover up those absence. But ultimately, these substitutes betray us and we, they do not fill up the void we experience from the lack of God in our hearts. What do we use for substitutes? All sorts of things different aspects of our experience. We call it culture, economics, science, politics, music, art, learning in this university, that university. In the Haredi world, in the, in the religious world, even Torah learning can be a way to avoid the presence of God. If we go at it in an intellectual way only, without looking at what it's meant to connect to within ourselves. None of these can act ultimately substitute for this inner yearning. Where does this inner yearning come from? It comes from the fact that God put within each one of us a branch of himself, a divine soul, a part of God himself which resides within each one of us. Now, to actually discover that soul is not easy. It's very hidden from us. In many ways, it's easier to work with substitutes, but they cannot compensate for the presence of the divine within us. To find that inner, inner love, to find that soul within us, we need to work with unconditional love, unconditional love for God through the mitzvot between ourselves and God, and unconditional love for our fellow human being. This is not easy at all, but it's real. 
One of the most controversial aspects of Tisha B'Av now is reflected in the prayer which is said on Tisha B'Av. Now this prayer was actually written by the Unshaken Estagdola, the men of the Great Assembly, who were tzaddikim of the highest possible caliber, who intimately knew all levels of soul and composed the prayers through the sfiot that they represent. And literally, the prayer seems to us very problematic now. The prayer goes, Comfort, O Lord our God, the mourners of Zion and the mourners of Jerusalem, and the mourning city which is destroyed, despised, and desolate. Those of us who visited Jerusalem or live in Jerusalem know that today Jerusalem is one of the most beautiful cities of the world. Thank God we've been witnesses to the miracle of the return of the Jews to Zion. When we go there, we see a thriving city filled with people of all types, living their lives, doing their shopping, getting married, having children. And we see the elderly people there and the youngsters. How can we really sit on the floor on Tishabav and say these words? And yet, because these prayers were composed by the great Tzadikim of the Unshaken Estagdola, the sages of today do not suggest that we change them. And when we look at them, we can understand what it means from the work of Rabbi Ashlag. From the work of Rabbi Ashlag, it's talking about that empty place within us where God should be residing because we are not paying it attention. We're not giving it that importance, that concentration that we need to give it. And the prayer continues. Jerusalem, the soul within us cries, My heart, my heart is for their slain ones. Well, the word chalalehem, which is used here, actually means empty, chalul, empty, vacant the vacant place where the divine should be resting within us and shining within us in a way that we can recognize God just as just as we can recognize anything else is empty when it should be filled with the love of God it goes on but you, O God, destroyed her with fire, 
and with fire you will rebuild her. What fire? Which fire? The fire of longing for God, the fire of longing for connection, the fire of love, the fire of reaching out. So many of us in these days of the coronavirus are feeling lonely and wishing to connect and give to each other. Maybe we can use the coronavirus and the isolation that's been forced on us to look at the isolation within us and to realize how much we miss and how empty we are. And how can we come to connect with God? As we said earlier, by correcting that unconditional hatred, the hatred of the unconditional and giving love to each other unconditionally because the unconditional love brings us into affinity of form with God. And then the prophecy of Zechariah will become true and I will be for her, says the Lord of hosts, as a fire surrounding her and for her glory I will be within her. So up till now, we spoke of the point of Choban, the, the point of emptiness, the point of destruction. And yet hidden within that is a place of joy. Tisha B'Av is called a Mo'ed, an appointed time. A Chag. And when we bench Rosh Chodesh, when we bless the month, we bless the month of Menachem Av, the one who comforts us in Av. Why is this? It's as we said earlier, when we don't know what we're suffering from, we, 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 we can't deal with it. We're like the person in the middle of the sea has no idea where he is. But when we know where we are, at least we know where we are, and we know what we're suffering from, then we know what we can do to, re to resolve it. On the one hand, we can see what the disease is, but on the other hand, now we have hope of finding a cure. The Talmud tells us in Masachet Makot a very famous story. It once happened that the sages went up to Jerusalem and they came to Mount Scopus, Howard Sufim. Why is it called Mount Scopus? Because when you get up there, you can look over and you can see how abide, you can see Temple Mount. When they got to the Temple Mount, they tore their garments. And as they got closer, they saw a fox going out of the Kodesh HaKodeshim, the place where the Holy of Holies once was. And the rabbis started to cry, the sages started to cry. And Rabbi Akiva, who was with them, starts to laugh. And they said to him, why are you laughing? And he said to them, why are you crying? And they said to him, shouldn't we cry? The place which was written in the Torah, a stranger who goes there will die. The, the high priest on the Holy of Holies, the Kohen Gadol, was only allowed to go there on Yom Kippur. That was it. 
and you now there's foxes but he said to them that's why i'm laughing i bring to you the prophecies of Uriah the priest who signed on the prophecies of isaiah and the prophecy of zechariah Uriah lived at the time of the first temple and zechariah lived at the time of the second temple so what's the connection but just as i now see the prophecy of uriah coming true what was his prophecy it says because of you zion shall be as a plowed field and the temple mount will be left for wild beasts and destruction because that i now see has come true i'm no longer afraid that zachariah's prophecy will not come true what did zachariah say he said there will be the elderly men and the elderly women in the streets of jerusalem because of the Uriah's prophecy which is the point of destruction we can be sure that the point of redemption will happen and then the light which comes from the darkness is ever greater so on tisha b'av we need to sit on the floor and we need to explore that darkness within us to the greatest possible extent that we're capable of both external looking at the historical events that are really still troubling us we were scattered among the nations and we picked up a lot of their external culture which we brought with to Eretz Israel and which we're not yet free of and many of our fellow Jews are still in the diaspora subject to the praise of anti-semitism and assimilation subject to losing their heritage unless they try very hard to cling on to it so we still suffer from the external consequences of the destruction but the inner consequences of our of the destruction the lack of connection the fact that we feel that not being in connection with god is actually normal that is the real destruction and that we really need to focus on because if we focus on that then we can think about how we can restore that and by godlieb's advice to everybody is to take 5 minutes every day and to meditate on how god is in our lives god is actually the master of all our actions we born kol amasim adon kol neshamot to actually practice bringing god into our lives taking some time every day to realize his presence we need to look at it at what this would mean in our personal lives in the lives of our community and in the lives of the nation as a whole we mourn not only for ourselves but we mourn for every single other person because we are all in the same boat together I bless us all that we shall see fulfilled in our day
ותחזינו עינינו בשובך לציון ברחמים. And may our eyes behold your return, O God, in mercy to Zion. Amen. This audio recording is brought to you from Nahorah School, established by Yadida Cohen for the study of the Kabbalah as taught by Rabbi Yehudalev Ashlag. Studies with Yadida Cohen are available through the Nahorah School online. Details at www.nahorahschool.com or www.nahorahpress.com.